Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today, we are talking to Jonah Anderson. She's a senior Azure consultant with Solidify, and she has a migration tale to share with us, doesn't she, Ethan? Yeah, a migration tale moving to the cloud where things didn't go as planned. And it was both people <laughs> problems, regulatory problems, and just plain old technical problems, Ned. Yeah, so tune in for this interesting and enveloping episode with Jonah Anderson, Senior Azure Consultant at Solidify. Well, Jonah, welcome to the show. We're very excited to have you here. Before we get into this cloud conversation, I hear uh, congratulations are in order. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, that is uh, that is correct. Um, for many reasons, um, I recently got back in Sweden from Iceland uh, because I was a finalist for the Nordic Women in Tech Awards for the Developer of the Year. So I represented Sweden there and I brought home the award. Uh, so I'm very thankful and happy for that. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yes. And then another congratulations uh, thing worth celebrating is also uh, my book uh, yesterday or recently went to uh, to printers. Uh, so it's finished and it's going to be uh, published in, in print uh, soon. So I'm excited. Wow. Yeah, I, Ethan and I both have written books in the past. We know what a journey that is. So, I mean, <laughs> congratulations to you. We know what an accomplishment that is to get it across Very the finish yeah. line. Congrats. I understand. What's the title and topic of the book that you finished? Uh, I uh, wrote a book, uh, my first book, uh, it's uh, entitled Learning Microsoft Azure, uh, Cloud Computing and Development Fundamentals. So it's uh, it's a book for uh, those that are getting started with cloud computing with focus on Microsoft Azure as a platform. It's good for developers, beginners, and IT organizations who don't know where to start, uh, how to get there. Wow. And and since it is such a big undertaking, what was the what was the inspiration? What was the drive behind writing this book? Inspiration and the driver <laughs> that led me <laughs> into writing uh writing this book was actually my cloud migration journey uh in the past, like for mm -hmm. six years ago, when I was involved in a cloud migration project. Uh that project. Uh, was something I was involved in as a consultant slash developer. And it's a .NET legacy application app that was like 10, 15 years old. Uh, and uh, it needed to be in the cloud as one of my missions. Then. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, I, having been through cloud migrations myself, I know what uh, the amount of trouble and effort that goes into properly migrating an application and that's kind of the topic of uh, what we wanted to talk about today, because I know that migrating an application to the cloud, it's more than just like moving your data center resources to the cloud. So many companies that try to do that sort of lift and shift maneuver mm -hmm. end up failing in their migration. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. What does it mean to truly migrate to the cloud? To me, uh, to really migrate <laughs> successfully uh, to the cloud. Uh, it's not just about uh, going up there <laughs> and be in the cloud. Uh, to me, it's more like uh, identifying the important uh, steps that you need to do. It means strategy, 
and also identifying what are we or what organization are actually trying to solve in moving to the cloud because cloud migration is not uh, always an option for everybody and identifying that is the first uh, step to uh, success uh, to be honest and i believe also that everyone in the organization uh, the teams under that organization needs to be cloud ready and onboarded uh, with uh, with the goal of moving to the cloud so, okay you asked you, you, what are we trying to solve this is a question that we need to be able to answer well, what what does that mean? Because I've talked to several organizations and their whole, what they're trying to solve is simply getting to cloud. Well, we have to get to cloud. That's the thing. And so they just, you know, <laughs> that's the mission. They really thought it through any more than that. So how do you articulate what, what we're trying to solve? To me, uh, moving to the cloud solves a lot of things. Like in my personal experience, for example, in my uh, cloud migration project, it was a .NET uh, legacy application, uh, which is like uh, about... 10, 15 years old then, that it needs to be modernized. So what it's trying to solve is to modernize existing on-prem applications so that it's easier to be competitive in IT arena, in the, in the market that we have today. And then one of the reasons in my personal uh, experience why we had that project was our database servers or web servers were on-prem in the uh, virtual machines. And we had to do manual stuff. It was like, this. these are like years ago before Azure got, or cloud computing got so popular. So we had to manually like deploy stuff into that virtual machine and the virtual machine ran out of date. And we have to upgrade the compute, uh, the performance. And cloud makes it easier if we had that. So that was one of the strong or major motivations why we had to do that project. So you're identifying some pain points there where it's, we yeah. want to keep this application up to date. We want to maybe deploy faster or deploy more often. And there's stuff standing in our way that if we move to the cloud, some of that disappears, right? Yes, that's that's right. That's right. But it wasn't an easy journey for me. And that would be interesting to share as well yeah. as we discuss farther. <laughs> Absolutely. Do, do you find it's hard for the to get the people to come along in, in, in a cloud migration journey? How do you people can be hard, uh, Jonah. So how do you how do you deal with that aspect of things when you're getting serious about a cloud migration? That's a very true <laughs> statement uh, in terms of my own experience. It's not easy to get people onboarded in cloud migration projects. So uh, it resonates to me. Uh, and that's one of the major reasons I started sharing about cloud computing, cloud development and Azure <laughs> to the point that I became a, an MVP and wrote a book about it. But I, I believe that uh, the people are, are not really uh, adopted <laughs> into the cloud uh, technologies that we have uh, today. So there's a lot of things to uh, to cover and parameters to discover. And uh, to me, for example, when we had that migration uh, experience or project, uh, my team that were involved in the project were not really uh, cloud ready including the leadership, 
the management, the DevOps, the business leaders. So to make the long story short, I was the only one that kind of like leading it. So instead of me developing it, I ended up doing the database uh, structure, architecture, and all those uh, other stuff. <laughs> so it's not easy in my experience. And uh, there's uh, it can be cha- a challenge and it can be a conflict of, uh, of interests and knowledge uh, in, that, in that example. So are you saying it's primarily an education problem that if you're doing a cloud migration and you educate your IT staff appropriately, they're going to help you more? Yes, cloud education is important because... It's not just about like, hey, we're going to modernize and migrate this uh, legacy application to the cloud. It's also truly identifying what problems are we trying to solve when we get there. And also choosing the right platform. Because, uh, for example, you're in a certain location and you just heard, oh, Microsoft Azure is a popular (laughs) trend in this area. And uh, there's also AWS, GCP, but it's identifying the right choices that's appropriate for the business needs. And because of lack of education or lack of readiness or preparedness, this is where many people or many teams, organizations are confused where, where to start in their journey. Right, right. It's not just education of the staff, though, in that case. You might need to bring in outside help. You need a consultant. You need someone who's been there before. Because if it's your first look at AWS versus Azure versus GCP, they all do the same thing on some level or another. But then you get into the nuances and you look at what your specific computing needs are. And you really can begin to pick one over the other because of specific Mm -hmm. factors that you might need to be considering. You might not even know the right questions to ask, but you bring in someone from the outside who's been there before, then you get the help you need to at least get you started. I agree. And I think uh, this, I I do agree that uh, asking the right people and getting help from the right experts and people uh, for the team or the project to succeed are very uh, important uh, in in making it a good one. And uh, for my case, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. I, I was the only consultant there. Consultant there that could uh, could help with the migration and solve the problem. So uh, I had to help educate my mm-hmm. teammates uh, about it. And there's comes back to the, the previous question that we have about working with people and it's not easy. And I have a, a, a practical example there. When we were planning what to what to use in terms of CICD pipelines, I, we had an idea or I had an idea, a suggestion that we would use Azure DevOps because we have Everything in one suite, we can do Azure repos, we can do backlog, developers and DevOps and business can work together. However, those uh, uh, team members that are not used to working the modern way are having conflicts and challenges in adopting Azure DevOps because they want to write their business tasks and requirements in an Excel file. They don't want to (laughs) adopt to the Azure backlog stuff. So this is one of the practical example that I experienced that I myself, that's really positive. Hey, let's do this. Let's modernize this. And you have to deal with the people communication there and try to educate them that, hey, this is good. Uh, there's, There's a good way to move forward and not that. 
So things like that. I had a similar experience when I was working on a cloud migration project. It was trying to move an organization that had a, you know, a 15, 20 year old software suite. And they were trying to migrate to Microsoft Azure because uh, that that's what they had picked. And a lot of what we dealt with was not so much the actual rewriting of the application or migration of the technology. It was building up processes that could adopt cloud native uh, or at least DevOps type principles because that was not how they were used to doing things either. I think they were still using SVN for their source control. Um, so they had to learn Git and then they also didn't really have automated pipelines. They had the old like package it up and throw it over the wall mentality. So <laughs> they had to understand, okay, what's a pipeline? And then there's all these interpersonal relationships that were happening between the development and the operations team that were very fraught. They didn't like each other very much. So there was a lot of powwows and sit downs of how can we make this process better for both sides? And there was so much change. Sometimes the resistance was purely we don't want to change because that's not how I've done my job for the last five years. That's uh, interesting. And thanks for sharing. And I can resonate with that a lot. So I think cloud migration is not just making a decision and having great strategy to move to the cloud, uh, depending on whatever platform uh, someone may uh, use. But I think it's uh, it also need to align with the people that uh, that are going to work with it. I believe you've spoken about a particular cloud adoption framework that Microsoft has produced. It's the Microsoft Cloud Adoption Framework. I, I love how Microsoft just names the thing what it is. <laughs> like the DNS service <laughs> yes. in Azure is called Azure DNS. Like there is no doubt that is what the service does. So yes. uh, I'm curious about this cloud adoption framework because I'm more familiar with the AWS one. Yes. What is the Microsoft version of that and how does it help with some of the problems around migration and planning? As far as I know, please correct me if I'm wrong, Ned and Ethan. I believe this uh, Microsoft Cloud Adoption Framework for Azure was actually an ins uh, uh, the result of Microsoft being inspired also of AWS because it's, I think it's AWS that's first to have this framework. Uh, based on my research, but probably I'm wrong. Do you have any idea which comes first? Uh, it's hard to say. I know AWS had a migration framework and mm -hmm. a separate well-architected framework, which is more yes. around the principles of operating in the cloud and not so much the migration. Um, mm -hmm. So I think Microsoft, Adam, might have actually been first to the adoption framework thing. Mm, okay. Because there's also well-architected framework for Azure that aligns with the cloud adoption <laughs> framework. So it's called the CAF and the WAF. But to answer uh, your question back, so uh, the cloud adoption framework for Azure actually helps uh, uh, users or IT organization uh, prepare for uh, the cloud uh, like migration projects and it's either you innovate or um, innovate or migrate from on-prem to the cloud and this framework usually follows several steps like for example defining uh, one is defining a strategy uh, next phase is planning uh, and then ready and then during the adoption phase uh, organization can choose how they want to adapt either they migrate on-prem to the cloud or they, uh, they innovate by adapting into new things like cloud native uh, way of uh, developing apps, for example. 
And then once all those four phases, defining strategy, plan, ready, and adapt are kind of done, there's this uh, entire flow of governance and management that needs to be adapted in the entire steps and process. And also security, which is not actually commonly like shown in the big picture when you search about cloud adoption framework for Azure, but it's part of it. Security is also something important in the implementation. Uh, security folks always get sad when they see these frameworks because they're like, where's where's the security state step yes, in here? I don't see I it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you take a look on the Microsoft Learn uh, on their official documentation, they actually have like in the left side categories of all of this and lots of details and steps and good links, but there's actually security. So hopefully they will update their official a diagram for the cloud adoption framework uh, for Azure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, make those security folks happy. Though I'm glad governance is in there at least. <laughs> it sort yes. of implies security <laughs> a little bit. Yes. I want to return back to this migration that you were an instrumental part of. And you sort of explained the background for it a bit. Uh, can you go into more detail about what was involved in the actual migration process of, of moving the code or did you rewrite the code like i know there's different approaches for how you get the application from where it is today to the the azure platform or, or any destination cloud platform so yeah i i think i've done a lot uh in that project i think it spanned uh in about six months to a year project and uh very old legacy app not not so much great documentation for developers or for me that's working or modernizing it. Um, uh, the the code is spaghetti code, <laughs> which <laughs> means that there were like 20 developers were mixing up their styles and design in the code. But uh, I did all the, you know, the five R's of rationalization for cloud migration. So I've done the the first option that we had, I was aware of it. So the first option that we had was to the easiest way possible, which is the lift and shift. So mm -hmm. uh, we tried as much as possible to move that botnet application into a virtual machine. Uh, we tried that, but then we failed in a way that it didn't really work and it wasn't compatible. So we did the uh, uh, refactoring and rehost. Uh, I mean, refactoring in a way that we wanted to move this on-prem app uh, as a platform as a service or app service. Mm -hmm. So we modernized the .NET application at that time. It was .NET 4.6, which is also uh, about outdated. And I think at that time when we did the project, it was .NET uh, Core that was like uh, the the supported one for the app service. So we refactored the code uh, and tried to make it to uh, to a platform as a service or app service, including the databases uh, needed some re restructuring and uh, work as well. And uh, that did not work because of the code styles, because of the spaghetti codes everywhere, bugs coming up, duplicate data coming up. So it was a mess, <laughs> uh, in short. <laughs> okay, so you tried just picking it up and shifting it right into the cloud. Yes. That didn't work yeah, for it, compatibility issues. Yes. Then you're like, it's okay, like... we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna try some platform as a service here. We're just, 
we're going to take the .NET app. Me, we'll upgrade the version of .NET and move it into app service and use Azure SQL. No, that's not working. So what yes. came next? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was like trial and error. It's like failing. Try this. And then it failed. Try this. See if it works. So what next is that uh, the next strategy that we tried, and this is before we knew about the cloud adoption framework. That's why mm -hmm. when the cloud adoption framework, I told myself, I wish we had this at that time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, but uh, what worked for us uh, as the final and, and third uh, strategy uh, that we did in that project after the second failure is that we decided to start or do a kind of like a new project on the side and replicate the system as new same mm. like features and stuff but new completely new project remove the old code that we have the code base source code and it did actually work uh as a new app in a platform as a service with new databases azure sql so it did work uh, it was, we had a good proof of concept and ready for dev. Uh, but then there's the interesting part there. It didn't make it to production or wasn't approved for production because uh, the organization or the client that were mainly using that existing system uh, live in real life said, hey, we don't want to move uh, or use the system and uh, have it in the cloud because of compliance. Like it's the it's a government <laughs> one, and then they are not ready. And they said, "I think or we think that the cloud is not secure for our data." So that was a a, a turn down, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, it was like a 50-50 <laughs> feelings for me because I really worked hard from all the failures that I had. Then it didn't make it, the great success that I had in the project didn't make it to production. Not because of me, not, I'm not, I don't think I'm the fiasco, but I think it's <laughs> because going back to the miseducation again, nobody really understand the benefits of moving to the cloud and truly understanding it. So that was my cloud journey. So a lot of people, uh, people challenges, technology challenges, but uh, it gave me a lot of lessons, to be honest, in my journey. But was the compliance <laughs> argument, was that real? Were they, did they have a legitimate concern? Yes, yes, it does. Okay. Like they were thinking about, you know, in Europe, we do have GDPR policy. Right. Mm -hmm. So they were not so like kind of confident about, hey, uh, if we're going to, store some data in your database in this system, how, how are things there? They're kind of scared that they don't take ownership of the data. And I know that in, in any scenarios, uh, governance and compliance and data privacy is a big issue everywhere, mm -hmm. <laughs> depending on where you are. So yeah, that was the reason. And I think, uh, I think in my perspective, uh, in my personal opinion, I think uh, the organization itself or the users of the system were not so ready uh, also in understanding what mm. cloud computing is and the benefits it has for them as users. So, yeah, that was the, the journey. Uh, I, I asked that. I, I've been in some of these discussions where you're trying to modernize, you're trying to update, you're trying to do something that moves the infrastructure ahead. And the arguments put up in the room aren't real. They're just like, 
mostly people that just don't want to move, just don't want to deal with the change. So they come up with, with something that sounds plausible so that they can get pushback on the on the project and have it slow down or hopefully stop because they just don't want to face the change. Uh, and so and compliance, I think, can be one of those. Oh, well, you can't put anything in the cloud and have it be safe. You know, that just breaks all our compliance rules. Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it all depends on it depends on a lot of things. But you can definitely have data in the cloud that is perfectly compliant with all the regulations uh, with all the regulations that you're subject to. Um, it, it, again, depending, you have to be thoughtful about it. It's uh, yes. not a knee jerk reaction. Oh, yeah, I can't do that in the cloud. Yeah, you probably can. You probably can. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jonah, let, let's ask you another question. Cost. So a big thing going on in the cloud these days is cloud repatriation that we're hearing. Not at everybody's pulling all their workloads out of the cloud, but some people are. And one of the biggest reasons cited is cost. So if I'm mm -hmm. thinking about migrating to cloud, and I'm fearful because like, oh gosh, some people are coming back out of cloud because it's too expensive. Well, okay, how do I figure that out? I, I wanna to move to cloud. How do I factor the cost into that migration strategy? Yes, that's a, that's a great question and re really relevant to many uh, today. I think it's the most common question before you move to the cloud because <laughs> uh, cloud can be very fancy and a lot of features, but it can be very expensive. <laughs> You structure it, architect it, and code uh, applications for it itself. But I think while uh, while still starting in the journey, uh, I mean, going back to the cloud adoption framework for Azure, I think the uh, one of the tools that I know uh, at least is the like if you you you're on prem and you want to move to Azure, uh, there they Microsoft has this uh, calculator called TCO calculator. The total cost of ownership calculator in which as an organization where you're still in the planning phase, you can uh, they can uh, like kind of like uh, gather all the list of workloads that they have on prem and then kind of like analyze it uh, with Azure services, a recommendation that it's meant for uh, for the cloud. And then they get to see how much would they save within five years or 10 years if they uh, they calculate the IT infrastructure on-prem costs compared to doing uh, the pay-as-you-go or uh, OPEX uh, on Azure. So TCO calculator, and then there's also, uh, when it comes to choosing the right services for the architecture, there's uh, also the uh, Azure pricing calculator, and then the cost management within the Azure portal or system itself. So there are a lot of tools and assessment tools uh, that uh, everyone can take advantage of for free uh, without paying anything uh, beforehand. I mean, before they, they move to the cloud. What's your opinion on the accuracy of the TCO pricing calculator? So I guess what I really mean is, I'm gonna assume it it does math fine. Is it easy for me using the TCO pricing calculator to feed it the information so that I actually get back out of it an accurate expense accounting? I cannot guarantee it's accurate because I think it really depends also on the data that you put in there and what's the actual yeah. <laughs> the actual like <laughs> workload you're gonna need. So maybe in on-prem you have this one app, but then when you move to the cloud, there's other extra stuff that you need to do as well. Because let's say you move on-prem to a platform as a service, and then Azure or any cloud cloud platform has different services for platform as a service. You can choose functions, functions for past like uh, app services, and there's different layers to it. But 
I cannot guarantee it's accurate, but I, as I'm a consultant, so I think it all depends <laughs> on the services and the use case that it you're depends. trying to do. <laughs> well, and also the wild card of, of data egress charges that come up. And sometimes yes. people just don't have a good accounting for that and it can be significant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. So I think using the tools that's available, not just one is really smart. And once you're also on Azure, uh, still starting up in, in the migration journey, I think it's also important to make use of the Azure cost uh, uh, tools like pricing alerts and having these rules within Azure that, hey, if my monthly, I want to have a budget limit of not beyond $1,000 per month, uh, I think it's too low, but uh, you, at least you get a notice, a threshold that informs you, hey, this is this Azure resource is getting too expensive. Is there a way to optimize it and improve it, uh, either in the app perspective, code perspective, or configuration perspective? Yeah, I was reading something today, and it said the only thing that people don't like more than change is uncertainty. Hmm. And when it comes to the cost of cloud, it seems like the thing that people are most worried about is the uncertainty that my bill this month was, you know, $10,000. My bill next month could be 150,000 because somebody spun up uh, an instance that has four GPUs in it and just left it running. And so the idea yes. that I can get an alert that I'm, you know, hitting my budget limit well before I, ex you know, exceed it. Now I can look and investigate and see if something like that has happened. Someone has left something on or was trying something out and forgot to delete it. Um, you know, being able to track those sort of uh, cost ramp ups before they really bite you. That's fantastic. That's something that AWS doesn't have or at least didn't have for a long time. And it always bothered me because when you spin up one of especially one of their platforms as a service, it is so hard to figure out how much it's going to cost you. It's just like your eyes go across. <laughs> you're like, I have no idea. Yes. And then you leave yeah. it on by accident and it left something running. And next thing you know, your bill, you know, for an individual, it's like $500. Yeah. You're like, what? I didn't, but yeah. I turned that off. No, you didn't. <laughs> yes, that's right. I think I have a similar experience as a beginner. I mean, I wasn't good in Asher yet. I was still learning about Asher, doing my Asher fundamental, like, learning path self-taught myself and then i was like doing this hands-on exercise to how to spin up my own azure virtual machine and i had no idea i i, I used my own card <laughs> my own uh <laughs> credit card in there mm -hmm. and i had no idea that i had to turn off that azure virtual machine that i just created and then the next day i i got a very high bill because i didn't know i it picks <laughs> while it's running. So those are the things that I actually uh, educate and teach to others that are beginners that, hey, if you're just doing hands-on with your own bank account connected to Azure, think about these things. Uh, you can learn for free, but uh, try to turn it off or make use of the documentation in avoiding those uh, high costs in your own pocket. We mentioned security briefly in terms of the cloud adoption framework, but I mean, security goes beyond just the initial adoption. <laughs> and it's something you probably want to have your security team somewhat involved in your migration strategy. Uh, so beyond migration and going into like running day to day for your cloud, uh, what can developers and also operations folks do to ensure that security is involved and is helping with their cloud real estate. 
to me I believe like of course uh security is part of the cloud adoption framework and a well architected framework for Azure as well but uh to me in terms of like the architecture planning phase the the following those uh steps are critical but when it comes to like uh, for example operations so applying this uh uh, uh practices of DevSecOps and making sure that uh, there's no client secrets or important sensitive secrets are leaked in the configurations of the code before it goes to production are very uh, important uh, strategy to the point that it can be a coding <laughs> standard for a team. And then also uh, in terms of once you are uh, configured in the infrastructure on the cloud, for let's just say Azure, uh, there is also security things that you can do uh, in different ways. So first is the um, identity and access management in Azure, for example. It's good to utilize the Microsoft Intra ID uh, features, which used to be Azure AD uh, yeah. before for a long time. So making use of that, and uh, I know that Azure also has the Microsoft uh, Defender for Cloud for different services. So actively monitoring and following the zero uh, trust methodology to never trust anybody, uh, <laughs> trust no one. <laughs> so always assume that is a, is a good practice. And of course, security mindset in the organization or the teams working with uh, cloud uh, cloud uh, applications. Let's move the conversation along to hybrid cloud, uh, Jonna. Since we uh, we were talking a bit about repatriation, it seems like hybrid cloud is is the future. So the question would be, is that the long-term future? We're always going to have some workloads on-premises because of the expense of cloud or whatever it might be? Or do you think eventually we are actually going to give up on this whole on-premises data center thing. I believe that uh, hybrid cloud is going to be a trend uh, in the coming years uh, and also the multi-cloud option. Uh, hybrid cloud in a way that there are still uh, organizations or projects that still want to have their private data in their own uh, on-prem or data center. Well, at the same time, they also want to utilize the, the advantage or the great things that public cloud has to offer. So hybrid is going to be, uh, in my opinion, going to be uh, trending as well as multi-cloud in a way that nobody wants us or not. I mean, some organizations are smart enough to avoid the vendor lockdowns as well. So it's good that we have these options, but uh, for hybrid, uh, Azure has Azure Arc uh, as an option to those that wants to implement it. I, I have mixed feelings about vendor lock. And on the one hand, if you go all in on a vendor <laughs> and they have a lot of products you want and they all work together well, is vendor lock-in so bad? I mean, it could be awesome, actually. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, who wants vendor lock-in? Because you want to be be able to be portable and you know move to mm. where your things that might be more budget friendly and and so on. I, I I get it, but yeah, at the same time, I don't know. It's not as I used. To, I don't think vendor lock-in is as as bad as I as as evil as I thought it was when I was a <laughs> a younger IT engineer. <laughs> yeah, anyway. that's um, right. But it's you know, another thing. I've, 
that I've noticed though, just speaking about reasons that I would have workloads on premises, one thing that's come up lately are folks that are building AI clusters. They're buying mm. GPUs, they're standing up some kind of a substantial data center that's loaded up with GPUs because they've got a big AI project in-house. But, you know, speaking of uh, Azure, they um, th that's certainly an option. I can go to Azure and they'll sell me, they'll rent me racks of GPUs and I can do my AI computing up there. I'm just wondering if at some point the cost gets to a point where, yeah, I really don't have a reason to do this on premises anymore. You know, if we look mm -hmm. ahead in the in the long term, where the costs are going to come down to utilize public cloud, we're going to work through the compliance and regulatory kind of issues. Uh, certainly, the number of the uh, the big cloud providers have announced, like, oh, to if you need to be compliant with X, well, we've got a new data center for you. It's right here in this place, and you can have your data there. And now you're going to be compliant. You don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. That problem's been solved. You know, so the cloud providers are certainly making an effort to reduce the number of excuses you have to yeah. keep your workloads with them. And if cost eventually becomes the last remaining barrier. Man, it is too hard to build cloud functionality like that in-house. Or it's it's not impossible, mm -hmm. right? But we've we've talked to people who do platform engineering, and uh, we've there's just no standard, straightforward way to provide those cloud-like services yourself on premises. And if that's the experience yeah. you want to to consume compute, man, but the, the the public cloud providers really have the edge, and that's the way to go. And, and and if cost becomes the last barrier, again, I'm theorizing, I'm just, you know, kind of making stuff up as I look ahead down the next five <laughs> or 10 years. I'm wondering if eventually it's just like, oh, you have your own data center? Why? You know, that would be the, the natural response. <laughs> like an old thing. <laughs> yes. And I think I, I truly uh, agree with you also resonate in terms of public uh, providers like Azure, for example, are actually trying their best to reach out those that really wants to partly go stay remain in on-prem so they provided this azure arc service that allows uh organization to connect their on-prem workloads uh to azure with azure with their uh, virtual machines and servers uh to the point i think they support uh kubernetes clusters uh with the azure arc to allow that hybrid and multi-cloud uh option and then to add on also, I think uh, just like what Ned said about change, uh, it hmm. what people and organization will choose which of these options actually depends on how they are ready to adapt with this amazing things or great things that are in front of us in terms of cloud computing, its capabilities, uh, security, control, costs. So a lot of factors uh, that that are worth thinking about mm -hmm. and adapting well, as well. Going back to the people problem that you mentioned earlier, <laughs> a lot of the folks yes. that are objecting to new and modern have a lot of gray in their beards. Don't look at my beard. Leave my beard out of this. <laughs> they have a lot of gray in their beards and they're aging out. They're going to retire. And again, if we look in the five to 10 year time horizon, we're going to have a whole new generation of IT infrastructure engineers that are coming on board that grew up with this and doing it the old way or on premises or uh, without infrastructure as code and DevOps being the the natural way to do things, they'd be like, huh, that you, you used to do it by hand, huh? That's, <laughs> that's an interesting historical <laughs> footnote. 
And again, other objection goes away. But but I'm 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 pontificating. Who knows what's actually going to happen? We'll see. Yeah. Yes. And if listeners are interested, we actually did a show on Azure Arc uh, back in December first, twenty twenty one, with Good. Ben Weissman. So if you're interested, we'll add a link in the show notes, and you can listen to that. It's pretty cool technology, and it's only gotten more interesting since then. Jonah. Would you like to sort of summarize your experiences in cloud migration a little bit for listeners? We've had a far-ranging conversation around uh, your your personal experience with cloud migration, the cloud adoption framework, some ideas about what the what the future might hold. Distill it down for the listeners. What what's some key points that they should take away? Yeah, for me, the first key takeaway that I have for our listeners that uh, listen to us and the great uh, discussions that we have together is that. Uh, don't just move to the cloud, regardless of whatever platform that you choose, uh, prepare for it and make use of the tools that were discussed and mentioned, like the cloud adoption framework for Azure, WAF, Microsoft assessments and other tools, uh, definitely GCP and AWS as great tools to help organizations as well with cloud migration. So that's my first key takeaway. A second is uh, leadership and people. Uh, they need to be aligned with the goal of cloud migration. Otherwise, it will not work. Uh, it's just like you're talking to a wall by yourself. Uh, hey, this is good. But you're if you're not getting support from everyone, the collaboration and synergy from everyone, including the leadership, I think it will be just uh, a challenge and a long-term process and a risk for no success. And then the third one is, I call it actually 4S. Uh, it's like take a smart, small step to success, uh, successful journey. So they take baby steps because if you start uh, big, huge, because you heard it's pretty cool to do this this way, don't listen to what you hear, the buzz around. Think about what you need, start small, and don't be scared to fail because when you fail, that's where you get your lessons learned that you can share to others as well, which led me also to write my book. So I, I'm very happy about that experience. Yeah, I, it's so many people like to tout their amazing, successful migrations. They want to get up on a big stage and be like, we migrated 16 apps in four days and we refactored everything. And I love that you you know, came on and said, we did all this stuff. And in the end, it didn't work out, but you learned a ton in the process. And now you get to apply that knowledge to future projects. So that that's huge. And I think you learn the most when you fail, right? Yes. <laughs> so if folks <laughs> want to learn from you, where can they find you on the internet? What are Where are the best places to go? I think Google, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, if they search my... <laughs> If they search my name, uh, they will find me. But uh, if you want to reach out, I'm very friendly and uh, I love connecting with uh, with the community. So feel free to reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter or oops, uh, platform. <laughs> and uh, also I'm actually doing uh, a podcast as well. Uh, so I'm also there, Extend Women in Tech uh, podcast where we interview women in tech and share their tech stories. And then I also founded Azure User Group Sweden, which is uh, a user group for Azure that I host biweekly with uh, 
learnings with Asher. So we have community sharing their knowledge and their spare time. And it's a great way to learn uh, and connect with me and learn about the the platform as, uh, as well. So feel free to reach out if you have questions related to the topic that we discussed. Sounds great. And we'll include links to all of that in the show notes. Joan Anderson, thank you so much for being a guest today on Day 2 Cloud. You're welcome, uh, Ned and Ethan. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking with you. Absolutely. And hey, listeners, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear about them. Hit either of us up on LinkedIn or fill out the request form on day2cloud.io. Hey, uh, vendors out there, if you've got a way cool cloud product you want to share with our audience of IT professionals, you could become a Day2 Cloud sponsor. You'll reach several thousand listeners, all of whom have problems to solve. Maybe your product fixes their problem. We'll never know unless you tell them about your amazing solution. You can find out more at packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.